Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Now something is important that David did the right thing. He admitted that he had sinned. He didn't make excuses or try to ignore the sin. He simply confessed it as sin. He took responsibility for his own sin, much different than when he sinned against Bathsheba, one whole year in guilt. He learned. Many temptations may begin with the flesh, but as soon as we are aware of it, the battle shifts to our minds. This is where we start to mull over possibilities, usually ones that will allow us to move closer to what it is that we want. In order to move forward with our own desires and past God, we have to think pretty highly of ourselves, which is why there is such an emphasis on humility for followers of Jesus. If you recognize that God's authority is supreme, He's more wise than you'll ever be, then you'll know that the only good outcome is in following His will for your life. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 21, verse 1, with today's study. Satan, verse 1, rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. First word, Satan. There is a real Satan. Much of the world doesn't believe that, or they underestimate Satan's abilities. And then the church itself goes to both extremes. There is a real Satan. C.S. Lewis, I think, said it well. There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in his existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So the world pretty much discounts Satan, certainly demons, and the church either doesn't speak about it or goes to the other extreme that we begin casting out demons from everybody, including supposedly Christians, which we know is totally unbiblical. Now Satan, and I don't have time to go into tonight, but you can just write this down if you haven't done much of a research on him. Where did Satan come from? Isaiah 14. Verses 12 through 14, and you'll see the existence of Satan and how he came. He was a high-ranking angel, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. All like all the other angels, he had a free will. Satan was not satisfied in worshiping God, so instead he wanted to be worshipped, and he chose his own way, and pride filled his heart, and because of that, there was a rebellion, and he was cast out of heaven. 
He operates in this world. Satan is real. There are real forces. Now, his ability are many. We get an understanding of his ability by the names that the Bible gives him. A liar, the evil one, the slanderer, the adversary, the tempter, the murderer, the lawless, and your enemy. Satan is our enemy. Now, he always opposes God. That's his goal. He's against the kingdom of God. And he's real. And we know from the book of Revelation, one-third of the angels followed Satan. But the good thing for you and I as a Christian to remember, two-thirds of the angels stayed with God. Two-thirds always beats one-third. We're on the winning side. That doesn't mean we take him lightly. He uses his powers to tempt, manipulate, to deceive, to control, to blind. And what amazingly, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, he blinds the minds of the unbeliever so that they cannot see the gospel. And one of the things you have to understand for, and that's, that's what you and I need to pray for as individuals, is the unbeliever is blinded by Satan. Now, I can't open their eyes. You know, we'd like to take them to have LASIK surgery and they'd be open. But it doesn't work like that. It's in the spiritual realm. And they can be sitting in a service just like we are, and they're looking at their watch. When am I out of here? And God is speaking to a person next to them, and they've opened their heart, and they come and accept the Lord. And we go, well, how can that be? Well, it's because their eyes haven't been opened. So a great thing that you need to do, and I have this in my devotional book, that I pray when I'm praying for neighbors and so forth, that their blinded eyes be open. I can't do that, but God can. And God will open their eyes, and finally they'll see that they're lost, they need God, and that's the role that we have. So we can pray, and that's what I encourage you to pray, not only to be a good friend to them and you know, share when God opens the door, but privately, and you don't walk up to them and say, I'm praying for your blinded eyes to be open. That's stupidity, because it doesn't mean any sense to them. Remember, the, the Bible, 1 Corinthians tells us that the Bible means nothing, really. The, the mind of the unbeliever doesn't grasp the things of the Spirit. And so, just pray for that. The more we understand the tactics of Satan, the better equipped we are to ward off his attacks. Now, he is limited, and he is not equal to God. And also in your life, remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that he comes to us, but God will never allow us to be tempted above that which I can bear. That's not a general statement for everyone. God knows how much I can bear. So we can never in a Christian life, this is very important, you can never in your Christian life say this, God caused me to sin. That's impossible. Because God always provides, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, He always provides a way around the temptation. If I'll take it, the escape route is always there. In David's case, he didn't take that route. He went against it. And when you do, you end up in trouble because Satan obviously causes us to lose our fellowship with God. Now, Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, you remember. But he is still loosed for this time. So eventually, he'll be cast into the lake of fire. That's after the tribulation. And then that's after that thousand-year reign where he'll be loosed for that little period of time at the end. And then he'll be cast into that lake of fire. But currently, he roams the earth 
And he looks, he's like a roaring lion, the Bible says, looking to deceive you and I. He's not looking to deceive the unbeliever. They're already in his kingdom. He's looking to deceive you and I. So you don't have to be in fear, but you need to be wise. You need to understand the things. And of course, our greatest weapon is the word of God. That's why we teach at Calvary Chapel here just the word of God. That's why we're going through all of these verses to make them apply to our life. All right. That was word one in verse one. (laughs) Shall we close in prayer? (laughs) It says, Satan rose up against Israel. You might want to circle the next word and incited David to take a census of Israel. We are reminded by this when we were in the chapter before. Remember, David and his men had had some wonderful military victories. In chapter 20, they had slain some huge giants in their lives. They were on a spiritual high. Everything was going great. And where does Satan come? Boom. That's often what happens. You see, we think when we're up there, we're like invincible and everything is just, everything's perfect, everything's going good. And that's exactly often when Satan comes at our high points and those mountaintops. He comes to look for us. And you can't let your spiritual guard down. We're always in spiritual warfare. We cannot be filled with pride. And that's what happens when we're on a high mountain. When we're there, we look back and we go, wow, how good am I? How wonderful this is. Very dangerous in a ministry. Charles Stanley speaking. He went to one of his, uh, one of his meetings, I guess, where maybe it was, it was like a rally. And he walked in and the people just started clapping and clapping and clapping and clapping. And he said in his heart, man, I really like this. And then he said, like a cold sweat came over him. Charles Stanley, what are you doing? And he said he couldn't wait to get out of that service and get on his knees before God. And he said, God, you take that from me. If you take my words, you take my illustration, you take my study time, there wouldn't be a person ever clapping for me. It's all you, and it's not me. You see, we have to be careful. If you're ministering and you you leave and your Bible study went great and you go, man, I've had great insight. Careful. The next one is like, ah, la, 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 la. Or you say totally stupid things. Then they know the real you and I without God. So here David is very vulnerable at this place. And you can say yourself that Satan wants to come and incite us to do all kinds of things in our lives, to gossip, to be unforgiving, to lie, not to read our Bible. He comes and he causes us to do that. Now, we learn from 2 Samuel 24, which is kind of a parallel passage to this, that God was angry with David and Israel, but we really don't know why. Taking a census was not wrong. They'd taken census before many times God allowed this, but in this case, for whatever reason, David was taking a census. God had not approved it, but he had allowed Satan to tempt David to do it. Now, David could have rejected Satan's advances, as I shared with you, but he didn't. So Satan brought the temptation. David gave in, but God permitted both. You see, God permits Satan to tempt us. 
He allows it. Remember, God said, there's this man down here, Job. God said, well, you can go this far. Go at it. And he went that far. So God allows this only to the point where he knows we can handle it with God. In this particular case, David decided to act on the temptation. And he played around with it in his mind where the battle always is. And he gave into it. Now, most people think that why this was a sin was because David was relying on numbers. He wanted to number the people, and then he was going to relate the people in the numbering to the military strength and sit back and go, wow, pretty good. So you can't take this, although I think you can in a, in a broad sense, you, you can't take this and say, you don't want to get into the numbers game. Like we're bigger than this church, or that church is bigger than us or whatever, because that's foolish. We're all one church if we're serving God, number one. So that's foolish. Number two, you're trying to toot your own horn. You toot your own horn, you'll have trouble. And this is what David's doing. He's beginning to think because he has lots of people that he's over, he can handle things himself. Very dangerous. Now, verse 2. So David said to Joab, remember his commander, and the commanders of the troop, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. In other words, God can do whatever he wants with his troops. It's God. The source isn't the troops, it's God. My Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does the Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? Now here is a fault of a leader. Joab is more godly in this case than David. And he says to David, David, why are you doing this? God hasn't asked you to do this. We're fine. We've had great victories. It wasn't really because of the numbers. It was because of God. Now, David, why are you going to do this? David here ignores wise counsel. And he says, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I think there's times in our lives when we need to make sure when we feel like we want to take a step, it's not a bad thing, especially if it's a fairly sizable move in your life, to get some good spiritual counsel from wise people. It doesn't mean that we would ever tell you, and I never tell anybody how to live their life, and none of the pastors here do that. That's not our role. But certainly we can give you scriptural principles and you can pray on them and guide on them. And you would come to us and say, and I really believe God's leading us to move and to move to an area. And we would just give you some things there, make sure God's doing it and make sure you have a job and make sure it's really that and just give you some things. We certainly wouldn't tell you to stay or go. That's God's role. God can speak to you just like he does to us. But it's good to have counsel. David has the counsel and blows it off. Now he can do that. And notice God lets it happen. See, our free will goes a long way. Now, as we see this, verse 4, the king's word came back, however, and overruled Joab. Joab submits to David because David's king. It's not like a a sin, he just submits. So Joab left and went throughout Israel and came back to Jerusalem. Now Joab reported the number of fighting men to David and all Israel. There were one 
1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. So he kind of obeyed, but he kind of shortchanged the stick here some also. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. Verse 8, Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. How many have ever said that last statement numerous times in your life? Let's read it together. I have done a very foolish thing. Shall we go around the room and start listing them? No, that would be very embarrassing, wouldn't it? Paul starts the book of Galatians with grace and he ends it with grace. I love grace. That's because we do stupid things. And David does something very interesting here. David knew what he had done was sin. David was guilty. Guilt is a miserable place to live. When you and I know we're guilty and we refuse to repent, man, the guilt just gets worse. We don't like guilt, but guilt's good for us because it brings us to repentance. David was convicted, I believe, before he even took the census, but he went on with it. Now, when you see this, we like to look at David and go, David, what is wrong with you? But as I just said, I had you read the sentence for a purpose. I can't pick the first stone up and throw it at David. Can you? I can learn from it. I can see how miserable he is. I can relate to it. We all blow it. The Holy Spirit lives with us. Now, something is important that David did the right thing. He admitted that he had sinned. He didn't make excuses or try to ignore the sin. He simply confessed it as sin. He took responsibility for his own sin. Much different than when he sinned against Bathsheba. One whole year in guilt. He learned. Now keep your finger there. Turn quickly back to 1 John. 1 John, almost to the book of Revelation. By the way, the word confess means to say the same thing God is saying. So if God says to us, that's sin... When you confess, it just means that you agree that it's sin. 1 John 1, 6-9. Often we read verse 9, but we don't really read it in context. And I think it's wonderful to read it in context. Verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness or in sin, we lie, do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In other words, when you sin, and you're living in sin, it affects your fellowship with your husband, your wife, your friends, your workers, the other people in the body. You don't want to be around them, because you're miserable. You're guilty, and it shows. And so, one of the things that you have to be careful of is if you're having trouble being around people tonight, check up. Maybe there's an area in your life. 
So, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from 80% of our sin. Because there's some sins that God won't forgive. No. From how much sin? All sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So there's none of us who could ever say, well, you know, not since I came to Christ back in 1976, I've never sinned. You're deceived big time. You're deceived big time. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful. Praise God. Which means every single time. And he's just. And he will forgive our sins. But not only that, he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. God's forgiveness comes after confession and repentance. One of the first things you're to do in communion is to examine ourselves. He said, why should I examine myself? I'm a Christian. I don't have sin. Well, we just read the verse to you. You have to look and say, God, is there something in my life that's displeasing to you? And when he shows it to you, you confess. You say the same thing as God. Even in our own relationships, singles and couples and single parents or whatever, we, we sin. So one of the wonderful things is before we have fellowship with God, we ask him to forgive us of our sin. If he points it out, it's not like you're going hunting and just find something. If he doesn't point it out, you're fine. But if he points it out, say, I agree with you. I confess and repent. Because you can't and be in fellowship with God if you have sin in your life. Now, let's go back to First Chronicles, verse 9. And the Lord said to Gad, David's seer, go and tell David. This is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. This is really tough. David is going to have to choose the punishment for the people because he sinned. That doesn't seem fair, does it? That's a great responsibility a pastor has. You know how often when a pastor falls, how many people are affected in the church and the community? I keep it in front of me all the time. I'm not fearful. I just keep it in front of me. I can fall just like anybody else. See, David's going to hate this because now he has to choose the punishment for the people as the leader. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and he said, this is what the Lord says, take your choice. When you see these choices, they're not good choices. Verse 12, three years of famine, three months of being swept away before your enemies with their swords overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord. Days of plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then decide how I should answer the one who sent me. So he can have three years of famine. He can have three months by the enemy just tearing them up. Or he can have three days of divine retribution by the angel of the Lord. Verse 13, you can understand this verse. David said to Gad, I'm in deep distress. You see, we don't realize when we sin how far the fingers of sin go. David and his army had just experienced great victories for Israel. No sooner was it over than Satan took the opportunity to move David to sin against God. 
Although God had allowed his census to be taken in the past, he had expressly forbidden David to do so. David even had a wise friend counsel him against it. David's decision to go ahead led to severe punishment for Israel. We need to be careful to consult God on everything. Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series the next time you join us. For those of you that like to have CD archives of Bible teachings, we'd like to offer you a CD of Pastor Mark's message from today. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5. This is only to cover the materials and shipping it takes for you to receive your CD. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option. Now, here's Josh with today's message number and title. Thanks. The message number from today's broadcast is 2267, and it was taught from 1 Chronicles chapters 21 and 22. Again, today's message number for ordering purposes is 2267. And today's message again was taught from 1 Chronicles chapters 21 and 22. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time here on Lessons for Living as we come to the horrible consequences that David must face after going against God. David will confess his wrongs, but that doesn't eliminate the fact that all of Israel will have to face judgment. David will also deal with God's command to him about his desire to build a temple. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue sharing with us from the book of 1 Chronicles. That's next time on Lessons for Living. 